Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Equate. When you study the history of human resources, it's clear that as a profession, we've come a long way. In today's episode, we delve deep into this evolution, tracing the path through seven waves of change that has shaped and continues to reshape the HR landscape and explore the pivotal role HR plays today in empowering modern workplaces. Joining us for this enlightening expedition is Nick Dalton, formerly Executive Vice President of HR at Unilever and co-author with Alan Watkins of The HR Revolution, Change the Workplace, Change the World. A distinguished HR leader with over 35 years of experience. Honing in on his own experiences throughout his successful career, Nick will be our guide as we navigate through the twists and turns of HR's remarkable transformation. So stay tuned for a captivating conversation that will unveil the past, present and future of HR. Nick, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to chat to you today about all things HR and how it can help drive business. Um, but before we get started, could you share a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, David, thank you. And it's great It's great to be here. Um, really looking forward to our discussion. So yeah, I was in Unilever for 35 years. I sort of did every single job there was to do in HR, I think including introducing a PeopleSoft system at one point. That was that at one point. That wasn't that wasn't my best hour, to say the least. I also did a little bit of time in, in production supervision, but I think I was costing far too much money. So they got me back into HR rather rather quickly. And my favourite actually HR job was when I was factory personnel manager at a factory in Grimsby, making fish fingers. But I did all the jobs and latterly, just before I retired, I led the Future of Work program at Unilever. Prior to that, I was basically EVP HR for Europe and for global HR partnering. So I used to say to Lena Nair, who I know has been on this podcast before, um, that I did Europe Monday to Sunday and the rest of the time I would look after global. And I think we'll be touching on on things related to Future of Work. You know, I'm particularly keen to talk to you about the evolution of HR and for the, if this bits on the video, um, I highly recommend that anyone in HR and business leaders read the book that you co-wrote with Alan Watkins, uh, The HR Revolution. So we're going to look at a- HR, we're actually going to look at how it started, where it is now and where it is or where it should be heading. Um, obviously, you've mentioned 35 years experience in Unilever, certainly uh, an organisation where HR is leading, uh, not reacting, uh, and co-author of the book, as I mentioned. How would you say the role of HR has, has changed over over the last sort of century and uh, and up to now? Yeah, so j- just before I, I, I left Unilever, I had this great opportunity, really. I was 20 years abroad, and then I came back to the UK, and Alan and I started to write the book. And I'm a bit of a politics and history geek as well as a HR geek. Uh, so for me, actually starting where HR started or, or managing people, managing large groups of people started and thinking about the past, the present and the future of HR. It was really fun, to be honest. I did some research, drew on my own experience. So we came up with this concept of the seven waves of HR, which all beginning with P, surprisingly. 
as an HR guy, one of the questions I always used to ask myself and we were trained to do in Unilever was what problem are we solving for here? What is it we're addressing? And if you go back to the start of the Industrial Revolution, it was the first time people had come together in large groups to work in that way. And the problem to solve was how do you get people to turn up to work on time and not be drunk, basically? And the the people's strategic answer to that, because uh, HR didn't exist then, of course, it wasn't a term we used, was paternalism. So I was really surprised when I researched this, how many of the early industrialists had built model villages. And I haven't come from Unilever, which, of course, Lord Lever had built Port Sunlight, which is even if you visit it today now, it's in the northwest of England, it's close to Liverpool. So he didn't do that alone. Cadbury did it, the Calvay family in in. Um, in the Netherlands, and we had the Lowell Mills in the USA. It was really quite remarkable. And of course, this solved for that problem. And the early days of the HR profession was welfare. And the Institute of Welfare Officers was set up in the UK, uh, which was probably the first institute of its kind. And the role of the sort of people leadership was about providing the family figure, looking after people, making sure people were fit and healthy, uh, making sure they could, could could work effectively. Now, that was the first wave, and you actually still see it today. During COVID, you know, about that horrible March 2020, when we all thought the world was falling apart, a number of companies, and Unilever included, took the paternalistic move. We will not make any redundancies during this time. We will carry on paying you your full wages. We will look after you. And so in that time where people needed and felt the need for care when they were scared, the paternalistic strategy actually was reborn and it still exists in many parts of the world today. You still see it. But what happened in terms of the sort of developing world, I think, was when the first boom and bust cycles happened and the, the sort of early industrialists became the early capitalists and they couldn't afford paternalism anymore. Of course, they started to, to cut back and to try and get people to work harder. They started to flood their operations with nasty supervisors who typically, you know, were, were, were quite uh, aggressive. And this led to the rise of the trade union movement. And this led to the era of power. Because the new problem to solve wasn't getting people to work. It was to manage conflict in the workplace. And this power approach to the workplace, it became called industrial relations. Again, you still see it today. You still see companies and organisations making power moves. It's the most common strategy in the world, actually, in terms of managing employee or industrial relations. Then, probably after the Second World War, we all decided these power leaders weren't such a good idea. And, you know, bear in mind, during that era, was the era of Henry Ford, was the era of electricity development, was the era, we know, we made great progress because of people taking charismatic and decisive action as leaders. But it ran its course. And so we went to an era of process after the Second World War. And so the era of process was when really when functions were born, when multinational companies started to get their act together, to start to build training centres. It was the era of job evaluation. It was the era of paying for the job. That era, I think, brought us a fair degree of stability. It did. It solved the problem it was asked to solve. But like all of these waves, the upside gets met by a downside. And the downside, again, was around the end of the 1970s. It was a little too slow. And so it really, politically, this was the Thatcher-Reagan era. And the problem to solve for in that era was how do we 
bring back entrepreneurial spirit and innovation. I went from actually one one week I, I got called on a course. I was taken off to France for a week. And I went as a as a manager and I came back as a transformational leader. So that whole era again brought positives, but the negatives came and they really hit us around 2008 with the great financial crash. We saw, you know, the the the, the, the difference between the CEO's pay and the pay of the lowest earner. Um, assuming you could identify the lowest earner um, being excessive. We saw excessive use of temporary precarious labour. But from 2008, we started to see another worldview emerge, which was the people wave. Now, what you'll notice here, David, is quite interesting. You notice that the way the HR name changes. So I, st- I was a I was a industrial relations manager. I'm old enough. I was then a personnel manager because I got promoted and that was a more senior job at the time. And then one wet Wednesday afternoon, I was in Grimsby and I got a phone call from my boss. I said, oh, you're now called an HR manager. I thought, oh, that's good. Of course, I didn't realize it was deeply ideological. It was. But at the time, it was just a snazzy American title. But have you noticed now everyone's calling themselves people officers? Yep. yep. Chief people officers. Yes, because this is because we're now in the people wave, uh, or at least leading edge companies are in the people wave, or companies that are actually in the profit wave like to think they're in the people wave. So we're now using this terminology. Yeah. Uh, and the people wave is really, I think, in most large organizations now, the leading edge practice, but it is fundamentally unstable because companies during this era will often talk about purpose. I think it's more values than purpose. And, you know, you, you're faced with the reality that on Tuesday, your CEO standing up and saying, what a wonderful business you are, what you do for the environment, how you're making a positive social impact. And on Thursday, you're managing 2,000 redundancies. And there's this massive say-do gap and the reason I say do gaps there is because the world's just complex. If you want to address issues like child labour, it isn't as easy as just saying, oh, we're going to stop using the people who do child labour when you find out because the children could be then, quote, disappeared. What do you do about that? How do you deal with that complexity? And when I present this stuff, I always say at the start, look, this stuff's wrong. But I think it gives us it gives us questions we can ask. I I hope that we will transcend the people wave and go into the paradox wave. Now, the paradox wave is where we we actually accept that we live in a world that you're going to make the Tuesday, Thursday thing happen. The Tuesday, you'll be trying to, to do something good. And on Thursday, you'll be looking after your business basics. You're going to have to do both. We are in a world where we're going to have to manage decentralization and centralization. This is the and and the holy grail of organizational design, it was always called. But the paradox wave is where I think we start to systemically and gradually solve for some of these issues. Now, no one is doing it in my view yet. I think after the paradox wave, now this will happen, I think, after I'm dead. So let's, you know, get really depressed here. I hope, I hope if we can go through the paradox wave, I hope we'll get to the planet wave. And the planet wave, I have no idea. In the book, Alan and I wrote a chapter on the planet wave, but in all honesty, it's blah, blah. But the planet wave, I think, is about where we start to regenerate the planet, not exploit or extract. I think it will involve completely new business models uh, than the ones we've had today. Or let me call them organizational models, because I think the concept of business will change. But I believe we've got to go through the paradox wave to get there, because we need to create the types of leaders who can do that, the types of organizations that can face into the level of complexity that will be required. Um, And I think, you know, most business thinking today stops at the people wave. Yeah. So since I was uh, finished at Unilever, I've been spending my time doing two things, helping companies think about 
how they could navigate people and paradox. Uh, and also trying to learn what companies and organizations are doing so I can flesh out what this paradox planet thinking might be. I think it's fair to say the world of work is changing pretty rapidly. How will a paradox HR function help businesses navigate uh, during this change of time uncertainty? And there's a great quote in your book that you said that the, the uh, one of your purposes of the book is that it's a call to arms for HR professionals to stop following and, and to start leading, effectively, or stop reacting and start leading. You know, if you're a, if you're going to call yourself a profession, I think you have to have an underlying purpose. Uh, and the HR function, I think, is a function today rather than a profession. I think we become a profession when we do have a point of view and the ability to prosecute a point of view. So let me give you an example. I, for every wave, I think there's a series of not only HR, but leadership responses that are appropriate for that wave. So I often talk about managing change, you know, and in the paternalistic wave, the way leaders manage change is to say, I'll look after you. In the power wave, the way people manage change is to say, just do it. You know, Elon Musk classically, I think he's a paradox power thinker, um, but he applies the power wave in his organizational philosophies. In the process wave, you know, we'll follow the process. The profit wave leadership says, let me share my vision with you. The people wave is, let's ask the people. You know, classically, Airbnb during COVID made people redundant and they said sorry and everyone said, oh, aren't they nice? Now, that's fine. That is fine and they did it very well. But, you know, you're still making people redundant. Now, what I see is, is different types of leaders actually come forward with these worldviews during times of change and they often confuse the hell out of the workforce. Because it might well be that actually the change needs to be done in a power mode because it's urgent and you've just got to do it. And it'll often get leaders up who can't do that and they start talking, oh, we'll try and look after you, we'll try and do this because they can't handle conflict. And so I think the role of HR is to is to recognise what wave your business is in because I think actually these waves also follow business cycles and business growth. What that means for how you should do it, what that means for the types of leaders who need to lead for different things in the organisation. And the most sophisticated HR people actually will be able to probably run a number of waves going in a number of parts of their organizations at the same time. So it is the ability to integrate. It is not the centralized, one-size-fits-all corporate HR policy. It is, look, we're on a journey here. There's a series of best practices we need to use. There's a professional way of doing this. And I think it's in the paradox wave where purpose actually comes alive because then purpose is systemic. It's something you're doing in every bit of your organization, every nut and bolt, every function. It's aligned, it's systemic, it's out there, and you're not doing it on your own, you're doing it with others. So I think HR needs to have that type of approach. And I don't know, David, if we want to talk about what HR looks like, because I think HR looks and organizes itself differently. Not only does it call itself different things, but I think it looks and organizes differently in each of those waves. So I think we need to be doing that. That's what we need to be doing. What problem are we solving for? Is it is it aligned? Is it coherent? What's the best practice? What's the upside of these waves? How are we going to move this organization forward onto the next wave or waves? How, well, how are we going to develop the leaders who can do this? How are we going to change the way we talk to our employees? How are we going to reward people differently? How are we going to train people differently as we move through these waves? This podcast episode is brought to you by Equate. 
The strategic workforce planning technology that helps you plan for the workforce you need tomorrow, today. Discover the power of your people. Ensure you have the right workforce to meet your purpose. Extend the power to plan to every corner of your organization. Learn more at equate.ai forward slash insight 222. That's EQ, the number eight, dot AI forward slash I-N-S-I-G-H-T, the number two, the number two, the number two. If we think, and I'd pre- I appreciate that the companies are in different eras and, and effectively sometimes transitioning between different eras depending on the problem that it is they're trying to solve or the business situation at the time. In terms of HR, how do you see HR looking maybe if we look at the profit people and paradox um, eras, how do you see uh, HR looking different for, for, for companies that are in each of those eras? Yeah, I mean, so it, I think it's going to be fascinating because it's whether the current uh, cadre of us HR people are going to be the ones for the future or not, I, st- I think it's still up for grabs. So look, the paternal era was welfare officers. It wasn't us. The power era was industrial relations people. People like me still have that skill. Um, and it's still very common around the world. Um, and it's still within the function. But in the power era, it was the only thing. In the process era, it was personnel. And that's where we started to take management development seriously and other other associated sort of subspecialisms. Uh, profit era was the Ulrich model, wasn't it? Where we started to split the function apart into HRBPs. And I think we were rarely business partners, actually, um, into service centres, which is now developing in terms of the whole employee engagement and becoming cross-functional and becoming more end-to-end and quite exciting. Uh, and, and that's said, actually where most companies still are, isn't it? Oh, know, absolutely. They've still got the... Yeah. And and even so, a lot of companies are still are bringing stuff back in-house now because in, in a lot of cases, they lost that ability to connect with people which actually is a strategic capability. You know, if you're see, seeing people every day and dealing with people every day, you start influencing people. I always, I have something called a 2% rule. I joke that General Petraeus, the US counterinsurgency uh, general who wrote the US counterinsurgency manual, stole it off me. But clearly he didn't steal <laughs> it off me, but I claim he did. But I used to do it in, in Grimsby. Uh, there's 2% of the workforce, typically, who influence everyone else. You know, our job's to know who that 2% are and speak to them every week. Yeah. That's how you influence the system. So I think in the people era, what you're seeing is this sort of a little bit of confusion. Sort of it's all, well, what do we call it? All it plus or, you know, and you see the McKinsey's and the others and the Baines and all the rest of it start to model it. Uh, but it's a little bit confused. And I think in the paradox era, we are going to go what I would call um, a full modern day Premier League football performance coaching. And the role of the football manager is to draw on these specialisms, some of which they employ directly, some of which they contract in, to ensure that their their squad of 25 people are at the highest level they can be. I think that's the role for whatever we call HR moving forward. So one of the books on I recently read about a year or two ago, Bought a Skipple Airport, was Behave by Sapolsky. It's a big interdisciplinary book about the human being. Every HR person should read that because that's what Paradox HR is going to That's the book you need to read to do Paradox HR. 
And when I was back in Unilever, you know, with, with Placide and others, and I used to I used to say to the HR team that reported to me, guys, are we sure we are paradox people, not process people? Because actually that process space is also developing its ways forward into the whole employee engagement area with the use of AI, with the use of tech, some really sexy stuff there. But it's going to be different. So I think it's going to go that direction. I think the world of sport, the world where, where human beings have to really stress their performance is the places to look to see how you know those people who support those people doing that are going to have to develop our game. Yeah, and I guess if we if we need you know to 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 move performance, we need to understand performance. We need to understand what drives performance, how to improve. And as you said, you know that's where analysts come in. That's where behavioural um, psychologists come in. Um, you know, and we're seeing some of those areas growing in HR. You know, certainly. In, but with, there's going to be more people with those skills, aren't there? They're not just the people that can do the analysis, but the people that can take the insights from the analysis and then coach leaders in the sort of paradox era. So, I mean, quite fascinating, really. And I guess we're seeing the early signs of it. Well, one question, Nick. Unilever has got a pretty good reputation in HR. You know, Lena, um, but not just Lena, when Nina was there, but Lena and the whole leadership team, you know, I've met many of them over the years. And there's no way that that group of people or, in, or individual are, are followers or reacting. They they have been leading and and, and helping the organisation evolve. Um, I, what why do you think you were able to do that at Unilever? And what advice would you give to HR professionals listening who are maybe more in a reactive mode so they can actually start leading? Look, I think we were we've been lucky in Unilever. Those of us who sort of you know, practiced our profession there because. When you think about the waves and you think about the history of Unilever, you know, Lever built this village that was remarkable. He was probably the richest man in the world at the time, to be fair. But So he started with, with a clear point of view. You know, he invented pension schemes and things. It was quite remarkable. So immediately the HR, what we call the HR function today, the sort of the people bit, was at the front of Lever's agenda. And obviously when you go into the power era, I don't know whether it, many of your listeners will be old enough, but there was a time during the power era where the big classic, the, the real, you know, sexy job was the person who dealt with the trade unions, at least in the UK and uh, in Northern Europe. That was, you know, they were the guys. And Unilever went through that period. When I started in Unilever, unless you you could manage industrial relations, you were a nobody in the eyes of both your colleagues and in the eyes of the line. And, you know, when you're handling difficult industrial relations situations, and we did do, uh, the line does get respect for you because, like, believe it or not, a lot of line managers are scared of that stuff. They really are. And so Unilever has always been in terms of a business that put the people agenda strategically. It's always been strategic. So it, we've always had a place at the table, this whole place at the table debate. You know, I used to watch. It's always been there. You know, every general manager in Unilever would talk about their co-pilots, which was the finance person and the HR person. Um, I never, con you know, I was an HR person, but I wasn't. I was doing this stuff. You know, I was managing and thinking about complex change. And the other point, uh, David, which I think people often overlook, is some of the processes are really important. So Unilever runs every year an HR planning process where every single leader is discussed at different levels of the organization. So you will have the CEO of the company spending a huge amount of time meeting with each of the business units to go through their top 100 managers. Now, what I found, and this is a little bit of the sort of 
power leadership piece. When your line colleagues know you're at that table, enough help. It's, I mean, believe me, it really helps. So if I was wanting to sort of cement an HR organization into place, one of the first things I would do is putting an HR planning process to make sure that I had a seat at the top table, which was discussing people's careers. You'll be amazing, Lynn, how many phone calls you get when people know that. How many people want to speak to you? Uh, when I was doing a supply chain, I did the global supply chain and had to do industrial relations. And it was dread. It was uh, there were some dreadful industrial relations problems, and line managers would really go on. And on sometimes, really, for, I can understand the pressures they were under. But when you, they know you're sitting with the chief supply chain officer deciding who gets what promotion and drawing up the succession plan, it enough help them taking your advice. So, you know, luckily for us in Unilever, we walked into that environment, that context, and it allowed us, it allowed us to, I think, practice the profession of HR, not just do an HR job. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. So thinking then about HR and thinking about trying to shift into the paradox era, two parts of this question, you know, you've talked a little bit about this, but maybe a little bit more. What does a paradox leader look like and how can HR help develop these leaders? Yeah, so I think the, the, the f people often say to me, you know, how many paradox leaders have you met? Can you, yeah, can you name some? And I, honestly, in business, it's difficult because I think the business world is still very much in this people wave at tops. I think some companies are experimenting with paradox, but it's very early days. So people say to me, what does a paradox leader look like? I often refer them to the film Invictus. I don't know, David, have you seen the film Invictus? I haven't actually, no. It's, well, it's worth watching. So it's a Hollywood film. It stars Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman. And it's a dramatisation of the South African rugby team winning the Rugby World Cup. Now, at one level, you think, all right, okay, it's a sports film. Well, it's not. It's a film about paradox leadership. Because I won't put any spoilers in, but everyone knows what probably happened. But if you don't know what happened in that, it makes it even more exciting. But the, the Morgan Freeman plays Nelson Mandela. And oh, honestly, it's a superb um, illustration of what being a paradox leader looks like. Yeah, absolutely superb. You know, and you know, the, the, the final paradox in the film for me is this guy was jailed for 25, 26 years by, by the regime. The regime who basically represented themselves through the green shirt of the Springback rugby team. And he wears that top. Now, there's a paradox for you. So what we need to develop are the Nelson Mandela's of the business world. So, you know, easy said, difficult, difficultly done. But, but it's more complex than that as well, because not everybody needs the paradox wave leader now. 
there's lots of parts of our business, lots of parts of the world of Unilever needed the power leader or the paternalistic leader or the process leader um, or the profit leader, depending what was going on in the phase. The key is getting the right type of leader. And of course, no one is not this simple, is it? No one's one thing. It's just where, you know. So I think uh, the bigger, the, the, the paradox leader is a leader who can genuinely lead without hierarchy, lead through networks, uh, doesn't have the ego where they need to be praised. You know, is the invisible hand leader who's incredibly effective. And that's again the paradox of the paradox leader because people don't see them as leaders because they're doing stuff in the background. This is the paradox. Uh, the people leader we all know is the people leaders are very nice to people. And often when a people leader enters an organization for the first time, everyone loves them. And then they're very disillusioned with them by year two because, you know, they don't really get anything done. Um, but they have lots of nice discussions, which is good. And some organizations, by the way, need that for a couple of years before they can move on. The profit leader, we all know well, it's the GE, it's the let me share my vision with you, it's the whole American, you know, business school playbook. Uh, the process leader, dreadfully undervalued. You know, these people are the experts who really know their stuff and actually make the cogs of the machine work and, and deliver on the physical stuff, on the stuff that matters. But to develop paradox leaders, I think, my I wanted to do this in Unilever, but we could never get to it. I'd like, you know, I used to have a, an annual medical. I would like a, a, an annual leadership medical where my levels of leadership, my de leadership development is worked on. Because I think leaders are made. You know, you, they're, not, they're not born. Leaders are made. And I think if I was in an organization, even if it's a power organization, that's probably where I'd like to manage it from. But I'd be developing leaders who could handle more complexity over time, bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. Actually, one thing listening to you, Nick, you know, it's, you know, basically now, if we're thinking that companies are strive or some companies are striving to get into the paradox era. So that's six eras that have gone with an eye on maybe the planet era that you were talking about as well, which is maybe somewhere in the future. So essentially, as a leader, you're, you're effectively having to transition between all those different phases, depending on the problem it is you're trying to solve. So actually, that by definition, that means that leadership is getting more complex because you've got to be more adept at being able to transition between different you know, eras depending on what, what the problem is you're trying to solve. And then as HR professionals, that's more complex for us because to actually guide leaders to 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 take the right mode is 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 harder as well. So so maybe that's why, I mean I, this is just a hypothesis based on listening to you. Maybe that's why companies are struggling to truly transition into into the paradox era, although that's clearly what in many businesses is is required at the moment. Yeah. I mean this stuff is complex, isn't it? I mean, you know, and you know, I've spoken with great confidence about all of these waves and everything else. And as I say, I'm absolutely acutely aware it's probably wrong, but that's not the point. I think the point is the questions you ask. And I think as HR professionals, you know, sometimes we think about, we know, we've got to be able to give a view on marketing or we've got to be able to give a view on, on this or that. Well, no, we're not really expert in it. But actually what we've got to be able to do is have a framework and a worldview where we can ask the right questions about all of these subjects and link things together. You know, the function of HR is uniquely placed. It's HR and finance, actually, and a little bit of IT, but IT have never really played this space, where you're the integrators of the organization. You can see across the organization and you can you can leverage it. But, you know, when I was a young HR practitioner, I didn't have a clue how to leverage it. And it's as you get mature, as you develop, and as you get your frameworks, you get your point of views, you, 
you can then start asking intelligent questions. And once you can start doing that, you're part of the team. And then you start working with the individuals in your team to make sure they're the best they can be. And I mean, there's not a better job in the world, in my view, than doing that. You know, you'll have seen it, David, as well, when you're working with a team and I call it the spirit coming into the room. It's when suddenly everything clicks and bang, and that's when you're going to perform. That's the flow moment. And that's what we should do. That's what we're about. That's what we're about making. No one else does it. And if we don't do it, if we don't develop, you know, out of process or out of profit, if we don't develop out of that, then someone else will do it because it has to be done. They're really good, Nick. Really enjoying this conversation, and you know, I think you know HR professionals listening hopefully should be absorbed in this in this conversation. We're, we're getting towards the end, Nick, and this is the this is the question that we're asking everyone in this series. And you certainly would have touched on it a little bit, but but please feel free to sort of summarise as as well here. What is the role of HR in helping companies plan effectively for the for the future of work? I think that whole future of work agenda is about facing into the fact that work is going to change so quickly. And then even since we spoke last, David, which was only a couple of months ago, you know, the, as you said, what's going on with chat GPTI? Um, what we've got to do is prepare our workforce, not by saying we'll look after you, not by saying just do it. But what we're going to have to do is say to people, we've got to face into this. Now, I think part of that solution is we stop looking at managing change within silos of our individual companies. We start looking at managing change within a wider community aspect with networks of other companies so that we could share employees, we can share training opportunities, we can share agendas. We start measuring change as a community resilience measure as well as a company resilience measure. Uh, and we start to really commit to people's livelihoods. You know, up until now in the, in the Industrial Revolution, the employment contract's been transactional. You come to work, we'll give you money, you go home. Well, I think now the employment contract's got to be developmental or actually more empowering. It's not even developmental. It's a bit top down. It's got to be about empowering people. But not only empowering, because I don't buy the, it's up to the individual. We've got to empower people within the collective concept, which will involve the government sector, the voluntary sector, the trade unions and the uh, private sector. And it's only paradox leaders and paradox thinkers who will have the ability to pull those systems together. Traditional leaders... Uh, will fail to do that. So we as HR, I think, need to look for the opportunities where we can manage change in a paradox way, be wise enough to understand that there are types and parts of the world in certain circumstances where you can't, choose the right way of doing it, and then managing it with a view to the future, not with a view to the past. So, so Nick, I can't believe we've already come to the end of our conversation. Um, time does definitely go fast when you're learning, and I definitely learned a lot in the, in the last sort of 45 minutes or so. Finally, Nick, thanks, obviously, thanks for being a guest on the show. Um, can you let listeners know how they can find you on social media, uh, find out more about your work, and find out more about the the book, uh, The HR Revolution, uh, as well? So, I mean, the, the book's available on, on uh, it's a outlet, and of course, it's available on Amazon. The, the best way to get me on social media is LinkedIn. So, I don't know, David, in, as I've entered this world of consultancy, I sort of realized I'm a content guy, I'm not a seller. So I'm sort of LinkedIn and that's about it on social media, which is exactly what you shouldn't be doing, I suppose. But that's what I do because I like to spend my time on the content. And, you know, I like to work with businesses that are, that are grappling with these complexities, you know, because I think you get points for trying, to be honest, in today's world. And it's important to try. Well, I'm only on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
and I'm only just about on Twitter. So I, you know, we're probably a similar era, Nick. So we don't do TikTok and other stuff. We'll leave that to our leave that to our kids. <laughs> leave that to our kids. <laughs> All right, Nick, it, it's, it's been an absolute delight to speak to you and, um, yeah, look forward to hopefully seeing you again um, and, and having another conversation as well. So, uh, David, it's been great. Thank you. And, I, and I'd be really interested in any learnings and feedback people are having, any thoughts about how we could make Paradox Wave, you know, more practical. Great. Well, there we are. There's an open invitation then for, for listeners to get in touch with Nick to, to talk about the Paradox Wave and how we can make it more practical. Nick, thank you very much. Um, look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. And thank you to Nick for being our guide to the past, present and future of HR. If you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. Thank you once again for being part of the Digital HR Leaders podcast community. Until next time, take care and let's continue exploring, learning and transforming HR together.